forgot my bulletin and I can't read all my verses without my bulletin. We're studying the book of Proverbs still this summer, uh, and we're in that part of Proverbs now where we're going in a topical manner, choosing different topics that the book teaches about. Each of the last two weeks we were talking about our speech and our, our words that we use, and I mentioned in talking about those that uh, that was one of, if not the biggest topic in the book of Proverbs. Maybe the second biggest is money, and that's what we're talking about today. Uh, what do we do with our money? What does our money do with us? Uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about money, and so I've collected on page nine of the book. Proverbs about the topic of money. And so I've just selected some of them for today to try to get a sort of a big picture, some of the major themes that Proverbs teaches when it talks about the subject of money. And so I'm going to read these verses, uh, the selection of verses that is here on page 9 in the bulletin. And let me ask if you are able, would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's holy word today? These are a selection of verses from the book of Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. Uh, We want to receive it sincerely, fully, graciously, freely in our hearts as the true word of God that you have spoken to us to make us wise unto salvation, to point our hearts towards Jesus Christ, to convict us of sin, to lead us in the path of righteousness, and the path of life everlasting. And so we pray today, would your spirit do that? Lord, would you be our teacher? Would you be at work in our hearts through your living and active word? Lord, which is effective, which is powerful to change hearts from the inside out. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you and ask that you'll teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Please be seated. So I was reading this week. I was reading a book. It was actually unconnected to my sermon preparation. I was just reading a book for my personal edification, and I came across this line. Worship is the path to true wisdom. Worship is the path to true wisdom. And of course, my ears perked up a little bit when I read that because I thought, well, that's exactly what we've been talking about uh, in in the series in the book of Proverbs is is how do we find wisdom? What is the path? How how do we seek out the wisdom that the Lord has for us? We all know that we need wisdom. How do we get it? And here he says, worship is the path to true wisdom. I think I agree with that. That's something that is worth thinking about. Now, Proverbs, and we've said this many times, Proverbs begins by saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, if we just think, when in our lives are we more intentionally submersing ourselves in everything that is the fear of the Lord uh, than when we gather in worship? When we gather with all of the saints, when we come together in this time and we are intentionally giving this time uh, to worship the Lord, we're, we're setting aside everything else, right? We're singing our praises, we're praying together, we're submitting our lives to the Lord, we're giving uh, financially, uh, all of this stuff. We're sitting here around the open word of God to study it, to allow the Lord to speak to us. We repent of our sins, we apply good, solid gospel grace to our hearts. When else are we so deeply immersed in, in all of this fear of the Lord than in worship itself? One thing that worship is intentionally designed to do is to help us to grow in the fear of the Lord, right? It, we're, we're intentionally coming before God's throne, right? Together as the saints in worship, and that is when we grow in what it means to know and to love the fear of the Lord. The book also explains saying, worship reminds us of the shape of true life, right? Worship reminds us of the shape of true life which I think is true when we worship, particularly corporately, and I think this is true of all worship, family worship, personal worship, but there's something special about corporate worship that here we are when we are hearing from God, meditating on his word, that we have the clearest vision of the way the world is supposed to be. The way that God has originally intended life to be with the glory of God at the center of all things, with the people and the creatures that he has made coming before him in worship, giving their lives to him, recognizing his kingship, his authority, his lordship. Right? This, is, this is a sample of how life is supposed to work, how it was meant to be from the very beginning. And on the flip side of that, I think it's true that when we're away from worship, at least I know that this is true for me, when we're away from worship, that is when our, our minds and our hearts are so prone to wander, right? It's just so much easier for our hearts to ever so subtly, ever so slowly be enticed by the things of this world, right? To to begin to go astray, we so easily forget the true character of God, the true character of his created world. And it's into this drift that our hearts begin to latch on to things of, of worldly cares, worldly concerns, things that take us away from the Lord, Whereas in worship, I know that I find that in times of worship is when I have the clearest vision, the clearest perspective 
on life, right? The straightest priorities is when we're in worship, when I'm most content. And that's because we are in the presence of the Lord, right? And that is how we seek wisdom. That is how we are seeking wisdom together. And that is just as true when we're seeking wisdom about the topic of money. And I think it can be a little bit fearful sometimes to address money in church. Right? It's one of those touchy subjects that I can be a little bit fearful to preach on. Right? And people can be a little bit fearful to listen to. And you, Maybe you looked at the bulletin and you saw, oh, it's about money today. Right? And you just recoil a little bit because you don't know what exactly is he going to tell me that I need to be doing with my money or make me feel guilty for the things I'm doing with my money. But here's our approach. Our approach first is that we come into the presence of the Lord. And I think by approaching it in that way, it takes some of the fear out because it's when we are in the presence of God that we have the most, the clearest sense, the wisest sense of what it is that we use our money for. And, and to put that together, here's, here's what it comes down to. We'll never be wise about money unless we're walking in the fear of the Lord. I will never be wise, we'll never have real godly, biblical wisdom about money unless we're walking in the fear of the Lord. But, on the flip side, again, when we are walking in the fear of the Lord, I think at those times, questions about our money don't seem so complicated and they don't seem so terrifying. When we're walking in the fear of the Lord, we are pursuing wisdom and we never do that as much as we are in worship together. So I want to share three lessons that I learned from the book of Proverbs. Again, this is, is trying to look at the whole scope of everything Proverbs has to say about money and boil it down to three lessons that I see in the book of Proverbs. And here they are. They're a bit long. Number one, because money is a blessing, we must honor the Lord with it. Because money is a blessing, we must honor the Lord with it. Number two, because money is powerful, we must be careful with it. Because money is powerful, we must be careful with it. And number three, because money is a gift, we must be content with it. Because money is a gift, we must be content with it. So, three lessons. And here's the first lesson. Because money is a blessing, we must honor the Lord with it. Now, one of the first questions I think we need to ask in talking about money uh, from the perspective of the book of Proverbs is, is simply this. What, what do we think about money? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? Uh, by and large, just looking at the big picture, Proverbs has a very positive view of money. I think the whole Bible does. It has a positive view of wealth. According to Bruce Walkie, one of the commentators, he says, about half the references to wealth in the book of Proverbs are about the goodness and the blessing of wealth. And the other half are the warnings about the danger of having it. And about half the references are about the goodness, the blessing of wealth. And the other half are references to, to their warnings about the danger of having it. But overall, it, it's positive. Proverbs has a positive view of money. And maybe that's a surprise. Maybe it isn't, but I know some people are surprised by that. Um, many people over the years have, have thought that the only kind of really good, humble Christian is of necessity a poor Christian. Right? That money is, is inherently corrupting. Right? That it's inherently secular. That, that it can't be handled safely. Uh, of course, you know, thousands of, of monks and nuns have taken their vows of poverty that they're simply not going to touch wealth. It's been very common in the past for uh, pastors to be paid very little, and you would hear it say by, said by churches that they would say, well, 
if the Lord will keep him humble, then we will keep him poor. And I am personally very thankful that our church doesn't have that philosophy, and many in our denomination do not, but that's been very common. Many people have misquoted the verse in 1 Timothy, and they will say something like, money is the root of all evil, which is not what it says. 1 Timothy says, the love of money is a root of much evil. But because of this, many Christians have had a, just kind of a negative view of money. Even those who have had money have had a negative view of it together with a little bit of a guilty conscience. Right? They think money is just inherently secular, it's physical, it's not spiritual. It's somehow less important, less valuable than spiritual realities. But we can say that the Bible never teaches that. The Bible never teaches that physical is bad and spiritual is good. Instead, it teaches that God has created the physical world and he blessed it. He, cre- he pronounced that it was good and he looked at it and he was very pleased and very happy with the physical earth that he created. And so working the earth is good. God has charged his people to work and therefore to be productive and to create wealth and that is a good thing that is to be received with thanksgiving. Now, just look at, at the first verse on the page there, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. I think if I had to pick just one verse to represent the view of, of wealth in the book of Proverbs and just one thing to preach on and one thing to say, this would be it. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Right? That somehow encapsulates everything we need to know that this is the command, honor the Lord with it. Honor the Lord, and that includes, of course that includes our tithing, right? our giving of money to, to the church. But it goes beyond that as well. I think it includes that we are to honor the Lord with our wealth in our savings, in our spending, in our giving, in our investing. Whatever it is, all of our wealth, right? not just that 10%. Sometimes I've heard it said, well, God demands the 10%, and the 90% is ours to do what we want with really not what the Bible says anywhere. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, which means the 100% is the Lord's. And he has given it to us to use for our lives and to honor him with. Money is a tool. God has given it to us in order that we might use it to honor him, to worship him with. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now this tells us, among other things, this tells us, of course, money cannot be evil. If, Proverbs tells us, you can honor God with it. Your money is a tool that you can use to honor God, and God is honored when you do that. The Bible never says, honor the Lord with your greed, or honor the Lord with your illegal drugs. These are things that are are in themselves wrong. But wealth is something you can worship and honor God with. You're told to use it in a way that is honoring to God. So the money itself, it's not good or bad, it's a tool. It's something God has given you to honor the Lord with it. Proverbs often describes your, our wealth as a good thing, as being a result of God's blessing. Now, for instance, 10.22, Proverbs 10.22 is the second verse there. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Right? To be wealthy is a result of the Lord's blessing, right? that he has given that wealth to you as a free gift because he loves to give good gifts to his children. Now, For some, that's hard to hear because you say, well, how come he hasn't given me that good gift, right? How come he hasn't blessed me with wealth and added no sorrow with it like Proverbs 10.22 says he does? Now, 
that, that, that can open up a big can of worms that we won't entirely get into, except to say sometimes God chooses to bless his children by teaching them what it is to be dependent for your daily bread on a daily basis. Right? By teaching us how to depend on his faithful daily provision. And he does not give a different blessing, right? the wealth to know that you are secure and, and, and set for years ahead. He says you are set for one day. And the blessing is we learn to walk with God hand in hand and to trust him. But nevertheless, it is a blessing when the Lord gives wealth. 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Now that takes quite a fortune to be able to leave an inheritance to two generations. And Proverbs says that's good. Right? It's not condemning the idea that some people have a lot of wealth to be able to leave that kind of inheritance to two generations. It simply says that is good. The good man does that. Or 21.5, this one's not on the, the page, uh, but 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. My Proverbs praises the, the diligent, the hard workers, and it says when you do that, when you are diligent, it leads to abundance, it leads to wealth. Now, Proverbs also praises wealth because it allows you to be generous. It allows you to be generous. Uh, 19.17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him his deed. Uh, 28.27, again, this one's not on the bulletin. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. When Proverbs talks about wealth, by and large, and there's a lot in here, but by and large it views it as a blessing, as something that is good, that it has a positive view of money and wealth, that it is something God gives to us so that we can use it and that in doing so we will honor the Lord. So therefore, because wealth is a blessing, we are to honor the Lord with it. Here's the second lesson. Because money is powerful we should be careful with it. Because money is powerful, we should be careful with it. So Proverbs in general has this very positive view of wealth with a few caveats. But the other major theme we see is that money is not just a blessing. It is also very powerful. And it has a spiritual power over our hearts. And in that way, money can actually be very dangerous if not handled carefully. You might remember a couple months ago, I used the illustration of fire. I said fire can be a very good thing. It can be a great thing, right? It can keep you warm. It can heat your house. It can cook your food. It's a delight and a joy just to sit and to look at, as long as it's in the fireplace, right, or the fire pit. It's a great thing, but if it gets out of the fireplace, it can burn your house down, and it can kill you. Right? So fire, it's immensely powerful. And when it's kept in the right place, it's a wonderful thing. And it leads to life and to happiness and joy. If it gets out of that proper place, it can be a terrible thing that can lead to death. It's powerful. I think Proverbs talks about money the same way. It's very powerful. And it's a great blessing, but it can also be dangerous. Again, remember what Bruce Walkie said. Half of the occurrences in Proverbs are talking about what a blessing wealth is. And the other half are warning about the danger of using it poorly. Because money has a way of supplanting a person's trust in God. 
Walke says, the rich person in Proverbs is not merely the person who has more than enough to take care of his physical needs, but one whose heart clings to his possessions for security and significance. Now, that's an important difference. And he says, the rich person, when used negatively in Proverbs, is not just the person who has enough money, but it is the person whose heart is clinging to their possessions for their own sense of significance, for their sense of identity. The danger of money is the way that it captures our hearts. There's two really interesting proverbs about this. Chapter 10, verse 15, and this is not on the list, um, but chapter 10, 15 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. Now, we read that at first. It just seems like kind of one of these observational proverbs. It's just pointing out a reality, that if if you are a person who has money, that it can provide security for you. And that much is true. But we have to read that together with chapter 18, verse 10 and 11. This is in the bulletin, 18, 10 and 11, where it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Now it's giving us the fuller picture. Right, where you have the righteous person and the righteous person for their safety and their security, they run to the Lord and the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Right? And they are safe. Whereas it contrasts that with the rich man whose wealth is his strong tower. And it's like a high wall in his imagination. Right? It even tells us that it's only imaginary that he gets safety and security from his money. There is no real protection in having money. But we think there is. And that's the danger, right? We get, we get duped. Our hearts get so easily sucked into that that we think there is protection in having money. We think we will be safe if we have enough of it. We think the future will somehow be guaranteed to us and bad things won't be able to happen to us because we have money. After all, we'll be able to pay for whatever is lost. We'll be able to replace the things. And so our hearts are duped by that. And they, they run to that for significance and security rather than running to the Lord rather than finding our safety and our sense of uh, okayness with the fact that the Lord is a strong tower, with the fact that he is the one who, who guarantees that we are okay, and that no matter what happens, he is our security and our safety. This is the danger of wealth, is, is that it's not just a tool by which we provide for our physical needs, but it becomes our heart's identity. And and money is simply not up to the task of bearing the burden of your emotional identity and your neediness. Money will let us down. But that's the temptation, right? The temptation of money is is always we feel important because we have money, right? Or we feel important because of the car that we drive or because of the neighborhood we live in or the clothes that we wear or the vacations you take. You look at others and you think, well, it, you know, this person, they're not just uh, you know, economically below me. You know, they're just not as good as me. Right? They haven't worked as hard. They haven't, they haven't been as diligent and as studious. Probably they're not as smart as me. We make all these judgments because our money has puffed us up with pride. Right? We've taken significance and security just from finances. And what happens most often, is it, it, it becomes this thing for us where it's not just, well, when I have enough money, I'm happy. 
And when I don't have enough money, I'm sad. It's far worse than that. It becomes when I have enough money, I'm proud. And when I don't have enough money, I despair. Right? Because it's, it's not just my provision, it's my identity. And so I'm either puffed up with pride or I'm, I'm crushed in despair. That's the power of money. Money makes you a jerk. That's in Proverbs, actually. It's 1823. Uh, I didn't put that one in the bulletin. 1823, it says, The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. Isn't that insightful? The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. Money makes you into a jerk, right? It, it makes you think you don't need anybody else. You don't have to be kind to anybody else because you don't need them. And so they answer roughly. They don't need to be kind. They're rich. And I think here's the reality. I think we never really truly learn what it means to be wise about our money until first we are able to admit how prone our hearts are to fall into this trap. Right? It, it, it just won't do for us to listen to all these warnings that Proverbs gives and to just brush them off and say, this would never happen to me. Right? We know, yes, theoretically, winning the lottery ruins most people, but I'm willing to take the chance. Right? We say, well, try me. You know, see if I can't rise above it. Well, we can't. Wisdom in Proverbs begins by admitting our hearts are far more prone to be duped by the lies of money than we think they are. And therefore, we must humble ourselves and begin to live instead in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of money. So often for us, buying stuff is not buying stuff, it's buying significance. Right? We buy some new toy or some new gadget and we think our life is so much better. Right? We've arrived, we have significance and joy because of the stuff. Right? There's a reason Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart and your treasures are just so intimately connected. There's just a spiritual connection between them that we cannot undo. That we cannot undo. I know a very few people in my life who have been able to have lots of money and not be ruined by it. But most of the time, it's folly to think that we could pull that off. Money is a dangerous thing. There's few things that seduce the heart faster than money does. Uh, John Wesley, he once wrote, Money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. I think he had some really good insight into the human condition in saying that. Because he probably got it from 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. It says, It is through this craving to be rich that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And he just says very clearly that some people have wandered from the faith because they were tempted by money. Right? They, they wandered away and they were pierced with many pangs. Therefore, so here's the second lesson. Because money is powerful... It's not that it's bad. I don't think Proverbs ever says it's bad. It just says it's a very powerful thing. And so we must be careful with it. We must be careful. We must be humble with it. Now, here's the third lesson. Because money is a gift, we must be content with it. Because money is a gift, we must be content with it. Look at the, the bottom verses here on the page in the bulletin, chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. This is, by the way, this is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Re number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then number two, give me neither poverty nor riches.
feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and so profane the name of my God. This is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. It's right at the end. I would suggest that there's a lot in this prayer that is a model prayer for us, right? That, That we can use as we think about our own financial futures. He says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food that is needful for me. Money, wealth are powerful. They're given to us in order that we can use them to honor the Lord, but there's so much, there's a, there's a dangerous side, right? And he says there's, a, there's a, the, a danger on the side of having riches, right? And the, the danger of that is uh, pride and idolatry and finding our significance in money rather than in the Lord, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Right? So that's pure idolatry. It's the idolatry of money. In the hands of a fool, money can do a lot of harm. It corrupts hearts, it promotes injustice, it encourages wickedness, because money is powerful. So after all of the positive things that Proverbs has to say about the blessings of money, this is kind of the last word, comes in and he says, you know, it's a blessing, and that's one that I might rather not have. That I'd be just as well to do without, because it is a blessing that is is so powerful that it's hard to handle. But then there's a danger on the other side also, right? It, it, there's no simple, no simplistic answers here. Uh, there's a danger of poverty. He says, if I, you know, if I don't have enough, then I'm going to be poor and I'm going to steal. And in stealing, I will be profaning the name of my God. Right, so poverty is not the answer. Riches aren't the answer, but poverty is not the answer either. Uh, there's just as much danger on both sides. I remember um, long ago, not, not that long ago, uh, maybe... 13 or 14 years ago, I used to drive a great truck that was named a Junior. It was my little red Nissan pickup. It was a 1986 Nissan pickup. I drove it till it had about 225,000 miles on it. And the only problem was I couldn't drive it if it was raining because it leaked from the top and from the floorboard if you went over a puddle. And, I, and the windshield wipers didn't work. And I couldn't drive it at night because the headlights were out of alignment. Um, because someone once was driving it and they rear-ended a school bus. Not naming any names here. And you couldn't drive it if it was too hot because it didn't have air conditioning. And if it was really hot, the window would get sticky and you couldn't roll it down. Um, but it was a great truck. But I remember I, would, I used to walk to work in those days, and, and I would walk because that was better than driving. And I lived in this part of town where there was kind of a lot of money, and so I'd watch all these people drive by in these these fancy cars. And I would think, oh, look at these fools wasting their money on nice cars. I have a beater car and I get around just fine. Until it occurred to me one day, I, wasn't, I was not the humble one looking at all these proud people with their nice cars. I was being proud. I, I, my heart was seduced by my beater car and I was taking so much pride in the fact that I was wise. I alone had risen above the temptation of buying a nice, you know, decent car, and I had this bad car. So here I was taking pride in the fact that I didn't have what was nice, and I didn't have a lot of wealth and a lot of, a lot of money. And it, it just occurred to me one day, I was like, this is no better than boasting in wealth or nice cars. I'm just, I'm doing the same thing. I'm just boasting in the fact that I don't have wealth, which is just as bad, and it doesn't even make any sense. Right, so, so Proverbs can say, well, wealth is dangerous because it tempts you to sin. But you know what? Poverty can be dangerous too. 
The problem is not the money. The problem was my heart. And therefore, the solution is not either to you know, have more money or to have less money. The solution has to start with my heart. My heart was the problem. I was just a, a proud fool who needed Jesus. And so what Proverbs says is we are to learn contentment. And Proverbs and contentment, I think, is pretty interesting. It's not just saying, you know, I'm just going to be happy with what I have. And I'm not going to desire. Right? There's almost this, like, Buddhist sense that I just need to empty myself of all desire and just I won't want anything. But that's not contentment. Rather, contentment is recognizing that if you are walking in the fear of the Lord, that you have everything that is needful for you. You have enough. If you have God, you have enough. Right? Uh, contentment in Proverbs is something we must pursue actively and diligently and regularly. We cannot just think that, you know, if I stop desiring things, we'll fall into contentment. Contentment must be pursued actively. Uh, contentment is about how good it is to have Christ, regardless of how much or how little you have besides him. Right? Isn't that why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I have learned to be content in any situation, whether in much or in little, in plenty or in want. Right? Having a lot of money is no secret to contentment, but having little money is no secret to contentment. The secret to contentment is walking with Christ. So Proverbs says, there's two Proverbs right in the middle of the page, 15, 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure in trouble with it. And 16.8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Right? Contentment is not found at a certain income level or a certain level of possessions. Uh, it, you won't be content if you have just that one more thing. Contentment must be actively pursued in Christ. Maybe the most profound thing that Proverbs has to say about money is uh, 14.27. Again, this is not on the page. 1427, it simply says this. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. I think the thing about money is when our hearts are seduced by it, we start to think that having money is a fountain of life. Right? Just a few more possessions is a fountain of life. Because that's what we want. We want life. We want, we want significance. We want some kind of security and personal identity and and worth, and we think, right, we think that money is the source of those things. Wealth, possessions. Money is a fountain of life, and it's not. And it's not. The one thing our soul really wants is life, and it can't be bought. It's only found in the fear of the Lord. And so I think that Proverb 14.27 is the most profound lesson on money. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And that's why wisdom about money is found in worship. Wisdom on the topic of money is only found in worship. When we worship the Lord in sincerity and truth, with love and with grace in our hearts, and we're learning and pursuing and actively diving into the fear of the Lord, that is when we learn wisdom, when we're rehearsing all of his goodness to us, when we intentionally bring to mind our own sinfulness, and yet at the same time, we hear pronounced the grace of God to us in Christ, that through Christ, his grace and mercy covers over all of our sins. It covers over all the times that our heart is so easily seduced and prone to wander. 
and that Jesus Christ has taken in himself the wrath that we deserve for our money-related financial folly and sin. And we realize that God the Father is running towards us with open arms and he welcomes us back. And he invites us in and he throws the great feast. And he put his robe around us. You see, it's very hard to go from just basking in the glory of the goodness of God to us in Christ to then going out and, and desiring just one more thing. Isn't it? To immediately coveting again because that's kind of the point. Worship is actively shaping our hearts in the love of Christ. It's actively shaping our hearts to know and to desire and to love Christ, to love his mercy and grace and to live in those things, to find life, to find life in the fear of the Lord and the mercy of Christ. Wisdom about money is knowing what it is and what it's not. It is a tool, it's a blessing to be thankful for and a tool to honor the Lord with. It's not a fountain of life. Only the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, and that's found in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Christ. We recognize in our own hearts, Lord, that, that we need so much grace, that we are sinful, that we are foolish. Lord, that we do not know the path of wisdom on our own, but but we draw near to you and we hear you, you speak words of mercy to us and, and you accept us and you forgive us and you teach us, Lord. And so we pray that now the power of your spirit will take your word, Lord, which is powerful, which is infallible, which is, is inspired, and it will press it on our hearts that, that we might learn the path of wisdom, that we might learn what it is to walk with Christ and to find life in him, to trust in him, Lord, we ask that you would do this, that you would be our teacher, that you would be our guide. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.